0: Alright everybody, hello and welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast, your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. I'm Robert Winfrey and I'm your host. Heads up, I'll be flying solo this evening, or whenever you happen to be listening to this. So thank you all very much, and also just a heads up, it's just me this time around. So, Jeff should be back I think next week, but you know, life is life, it's a tricky business and no one comes out of it alive. On the docket this evening, we have a review of last night, UFC on ESPN Plus 27, and boy, was that a dog of a card. But, oh, so much hilarity. Especially if you're like me and don't mind watching the world burn a little bit. Next week, we have UFC 248, well, this week. So I will, there will be a preview of that, and that is a heck of a card. Very much looking forward to that. And news of the week. Not a lot of news, uh, so we'll go over news such as there is. And again, since this is just me, let's go ahead and jump into the review portion. Shouldn't be too long here. Uh, UFC and ESPN plus 27. Last week, uh, both Jeff and I picked Joseph Benavidez. I said I wanted a draw to come out of this fight because that would be the funniest thing. I, for some reason... Did not consider the, potentially even the better bit of hilarity. Davison Figueredo missed weight for this fight. He weighed officially 127 and a half, which is a pretty big miss. That's two and a half pounds over the title limit, so not a good look. First time he's ever missed weight, and, you know, everyone kind of gets one, but if you're one is, hey, a title fight, um, <laughs> yeah, not a good look. Had I genuinely considered, okay, what if one of them misses weight? I'd want the guy who missed weight to win. I'd almost rather it was kind of a BS win too, like a cut after (laughs) losing the fight for the majority of it. Uh, So we didn't quite get that. However, Davison Figueiredo does TKO Joseph Benavidez at 154 of the second round. I don't know what to tell you guys. (laughs) Um, The fight, such as it was, was a pretty good fight. I think it was the only real fight on the card you could kind of look forward to in that respect. And Figueredo had some pretty good counters lined up for Benavidez. He had a good counter right that he was finding pretty consistently. Benavidez, for his part, nearly got armbarred in the first round, but Benavidez is a scrambling god. Uh, he you know, was pushing a decent pace, and Figueroa's gas tank is a little bit questionable. I expected more grappling out of Benavidez, to be quite honest. Instead, he did a lot of the same kind of shifting punches he's been doing recently. A lot of the same leading with his face. And that played into the finish. He tries another one of those lunging, shifting punches. They clash heads because Figueredo has appropriately studied the... Uh, Benavides versus Henry Cejudo fight, where anytime Benavides was like, hey, I'm going to lunge in on you, Cejudo's response wasn't get out of the way. It was plant my feet, duck my head down, and let your head run into my- the top of mine. Which is technically against the rules, but since no one in MMA calls it, uh, everyone should be doing it. After that, again, uh, Figueredo just kind of circled him to the fence. That clash of heads opened up a pretty nasty cut. Got him circling on the fence. Split his both guard and timing with a really nice straight right. And Figueiredo has power. Sat him down. Finished it. Uh, Figueiredo. Now wins, but is not the champion because he missed weight. And I fully expect the UFC to essentially dissolve this division in the next six months. I'm very tempted to actually like write out a piece about the, the flyweight division in the UFC because it almost needs to be looked at, like the entire thing from start to finish. It's so bizarre in so many ways. Um, I'm I'm a little surprised the UFC didn't decide to just acknowledge Figueroa as champion anyway. For those of you who might be screaming at me right now, but he missed weight. Yes, he did. Here's the catch. If you'll remember when Ally Aquinta missed the title weight for UFC, his fight with Khabib. Oh, what was that? I can't remember off the top of my head. I have to look it up now. That, oh, jeez That was 18, I think. I've been late 19. Excuse me, late 17. Uh ah, 223, that was it. Um Iaquinta did not actually weigh 155 for that of for that fight. He was initially going to fight somebody else and he weighed 156 uh 155 point something or other. Uh however, Again, here's kind of the rub about this. The UFC said if he won, they were going to recognize him as their champion, which they can do. Now, The champion would not be acknowledged, if that was Zaya Quinta in that case, would not be acknowledged by the sanctioning body, uh, the New York State Athletic Commission, again, if we're talking about that one specifically. But the reality is the UFC doesn't need... Uh, they're champions to be recognized by the commissions necessarily, because they're not uh, commission titles. This isn't for these. This isn't for these fights. Aren't for the champion of the state or even the world. It's for the champion of the UFC. So if the UFC wanted to go with this and go, eh, you know what? Screw it. This will be for the title. This will be for the title anyway. They could have and. Uh, because this event took place in Virginia the Virginia had a long name for their body like the Virginia uh, Licensing and Combative Sports Division or whatever the heck they called it would not recognize Figueredo as the the flyweight champion however the UFC's response to this could very reasonably be I don't, this is not about whether or not Virginia recognizes him as the champion but whether or not we recognize him as the champion the value in having the individual sanctioning bodies recognize your title is that it adds legitimacy if the ufc wanted to just point at a ham sandwich and go congratulations you're now the champion of whatever they could there's nothing legally contractually stopping them from doing so they tend to play within the rules because they don't want to rock the boat too much with both the sanctioning bodies and the fighters I think everyone would have given them a pass on the Iaquinta situation because of the totality of circumstance. Being very, very last minute with, hey, all of a sudden, you're in the title. And you only weighed, you know, a fifth of a pound over the limit anyway. If you'd known you were fighting for the belt, you probably could have cut that, that kind of thing. I think there would have been a degree of leniency given by the fighters, by the fan base, etc. If you're in a circumstance like this... There's gonna be some outrage, and deserve it, and bear in mind deserving outrage. But the UFC still could have done it. There's no, I don't really think there's anything stopping them from doing so, other than they don't want to. But if they wanted to have come out of this and go, yeah, sure, we'll make Davison, or Davison Figueredo the champion. Even though he missed weight, because we don't need Norfolk, we don't need Virginia to recognize him as champion. We just need to recognize him as champion. For the record, they are correct. Again, like, legally, I believe that's correct. Anyone who knows more, feel free to let me know. But if that's what they wanted to do, they could absolutely do that. No, they don't. They don't want to... Fighters will... Fighters have taken an inordinate amount of abuse from the UFC... I think there's a degree of... I hate to say hesitance about this on the UFC's part, but they really don't want to... They're kind of always pushing fighters back. And eventually they're going to push them up against a wall or over a line they're not willing to cross, and then there's going to be serious pushback that the UFC doesn't want to deal with. They haven't found that point yet, which is crazy considering the UFC unilaterally... You know, removes their ability to have sponsors, forces them to wear g- dull, generic Reebok gear, pays them a pittance, as far as that goes, tries to factor in the cost of USADA with, ha- with their fighter compensation totals, uh, unilaterally forces a new drug testing policy on them, completely devoid of fighter input, and the fighters have largely just taken all of this. Eventually, there's going to be something where, you know, that's all I can stands. I can't stands no more. And the UFC just doesn't want to find that point until they absolutely have to. And I think if they started, you know, rewarding title shots like that, when there's no mitigating circumstances, this wasn't a late notice replacement. This fight wasn't moved around for a long time. This fight has been set for this date. Figueredo just blew it that might be the line and I don't think they're really looking to cross that but I also think that they might be if we're talking about a different division which again changes a lot of the mechanics but if we're talking about a different division they might be willing to go through some of those hoops if it meant you know ensuring the continuity of the division since they don't actually care about flyweight they're not going to go through any extraordinary measures in some cases, even ordinary measures. Uh, as for what's next, I don't know. I know some of the broadcast team are like, hey, let's do an immediate rematch. That's a tough sell when you get stopped that cleanly in the second round. Uh, again, there is the weight issue, and maybe if he'd cut a pro if he'd, you know, actually cut down to the weight, he'd be more drained and Benavides could have won, and I don't know. There's some talk, and I know Henry Cejudo decided, hey, I'll come back down to flyweight fight again. No, you're not. Just stop. You're not going to do that. He might make more noise about that if Jose Aldo beats him, which might happen. More on that fight a little bit later. But I, I really don't see it. The UFC has been quietly dismantling this division for the last two years. I mean, even before... I think, like, if you look at 2018, they were releasing a lot of top-level flyweights because they didn't like them, because they wanted to try and open up the rest of the division. I... I don't know. I mean, just in all seriousness, think about this. Is there any other division in the that the UFC hosts that you can say three of the five best fighters in that division are not in the UFC. Not to say that there aren't top fighters in any weight class outside of the UFC. There are. If we're talking welterweight, Douglas Lima. Great, great fighter. He's Bellator's welterweight champion. I think he'd do very, very well in the UFC. If we go up to something like light heavyweight or heavyweight, I mean how much I joke about him. Ryan Bader's probably a... He'd be a top five guy in the UFC if he came back at light heavyweight. Hmm. He'd be pretty close if not. He'd be real close if not. So, again, that's so there are certainly examples of top shelf talent in every division outside the UFC. But, is Douglas Lima one of the three or five best welterweights in the world? He might be. But do you think there's another one out there besides Douglas Lima? So you, you got Lima, so you got one of maybe the five best welterweights in the world, not in the UFC. You think there's another one? Or two? I can't think of another two guys off the top of my head at 170 that I think are... You know, that, that guy's one of the best in the entire world, not in the UFC. I can't really do that at heavyweight... Which is the only other division I think could reasonably do that. Because heavyweight's such a... It's heavyweight. I mean, <laughs> I don't know what else to say about it. I mean, again, l- look at light heavyweight. Let's just go down the list here. You could argue Bader would be, you know, top five, 205-er in the world. And I am i think that's pro- probably about accurate. Can you name another one? Because... I mean, you want to say Phil Davis? I don't. I don't think Phil Davis against any of the top five guys in the UFC has much of a chance. Might be wrong there. Again, he's a very, there's a lot of talent in Phil Davis, but are we are we really going to try and pretend that that guy's giving, you know, the top of that division a real run for their money? Probably not. Uh Brandon Vera, I think, was the two oh five pound champion in one. I don't know if he still is or not. I think he lost one of his belts, but he was two oh five he was light heavyweight and heavyweight. And you know, Brandon Vera in twenty twenty, really. We're gonna pretend he he's not. He's just not. So again, you get one, maybe. Who and if Bader's not top five, he is, in fairness to him, definitely top ten. Uh, middleweight. I know, again, I know Bellator has a couple of decent guys. You've got, you know, Musashi floating around out there. He's in Bellator. But outside of, I mean, okay, maybe Machida. Machida top five? In 2020, is Lyoto Machida top five middleweight in the world? No, probably not. Probably not. Uh, well, to wait again, we said one. Lightweight, okay. Lightweight just being as absurdly deep as it is, maybe you could make the argument there. I th- I still think if we're talking lightweight, you know, maybe Eddie Alvarez. Maybe. And then, uh, depending on whether or not you want to say Patricio Pitbull is lightweight or featherweight, he's definitely... If we're talking featherweight, he's definitely, like, top five. But, again, you got One. You don't really have three or four. If we... If we go all the way down, you know, if we look at flyweight, there's a very real argument that the three best flyweight fighters in the world are not in the UFC's flyweight division. You have Henry Cejudo, who's not in the division. Demetrius Johnson, not in the company anymore. Kyoji Horiguchi, not in the company anymore. It's... I get... There's just no real investment there. So, I I imagine we're going to see that division folded probably quietly. Like, they'll wait a few weeks, let a few more events play out, and then just kind of quietly, yeah, we're not going to rebook that. We're just going to let that sit for a while. Uh, which sucks in a lot of ways because I like flyweights, but I'm also not going to put my head in the sand about how the market has responded. And there's plenty of blame to go around all parties on this. There's how the UFC tried to build it, which was not very well. There were some X-Factors that kind of played their hand. There was, you know, Demetrius Johnson being essentially unbeatable in the cage, but never really connecting with the audience. And where do you place the blame on that? Little's on DJ, little's on the UFC, little's on the market just being stubborn. Okay. Again, a little of all three. And then you'd also just kind of get the UFC again, shedding the division, like releasing a bunch of top-shelf guys and a bunch of prospects. So I I imagine that's what we're going to see happen. Um, Sucks for those guys, really does, but I'm not again. I'm not going to pretend I can't understand the UFC's kind of thinking here. Anyway, that was your main event. Uh, yeah, pretty good fight, actually, for as long as it lasted. Moving on, your co-main event: Felicia Spencer defeated Zara Farron via TKO punches and elbows, three thirty-seven of the first. Um, it was a women's featherweight fight. I don't know. It wasn't Felicia Spencer's a good grappler? She's got good lead leg dexterity. Not a great puncher. Uh, again, solid grappler. Pretty decent passing game, but... Her three fights in the UFC have been against Megan Anderson, who's... Well, her grappling has been coming along. Was not in a really good place ahead of this, ahead of that fight. She got bludgeoned by Cyborg for three rounds. And then here beats Zara Farn, who probably shouldn't be in the UFC. I don't know what to tell you. Um... There, was a, there were two women's featherweight fights on this main card. They were holding kind of unofficial auditions for UFC 250. Amanda Nunes wants to be on that card, and she's made some noise about wanting to defend the featherweight belt. Which would, again, that would give her history. She'd be the first double champion for simultaneous double champion to successfully defend both of her titles while holding them. Again, that's getting a little noodly as far as firsts go, but it's still that's still kind of an important one. I mean, the only dual champion to actually defend both of their titles at all to this point was Daniel Cormier, who had notched heavyweight and light heavyweight title defenses. Cormier never defended the light heavyweight belt after he won the heavyweight belt. Uh, and Cejudo has not had a chance yet to defend the bantamweight title at all. He did have the one successful flyweight title defense, so... But now he's no longer a dual champion, so there's also that to consider. But Nuñez, since winning both belts, has defended the bantamweight f- uh, title, I think, twice. And now could, yeah, become the first person to... The first dual champion to defend both belts while holding both belts. Which is a very, that's a very difficult thing to do. Uh, the fact that women's featherweight is not actually a division certainly helps. Uh, so anyway, Spencer's kind of making her case for, hey, uh, I want that shot at Amanda Nunez at UFC 250. I do not give her much of a chance against Nunez, but that is a universal truth. <laughs> uh, Magomed Ankalaev defeated Iwan Kutelaba via TKO 38 seconds into the first round. Bad stoppage in this fight. Um Ankaliev comes out. He kind of clips Kutilaba behind the ear. Starts firing some head kicks that are mostly blocked, but every time he lands Kutilaba's moving and Kutilaba starts looking a little bit wobbly. His equilibrium doesn't quite seem there. How much of that was, "Hey, I just got punched behind the ear?" And how much of that was him trying to act more hurt than he was to goad on into a crazy it's uh, is a little bit unclear. In real time, you can kind of see how this stoppage materialized. That doesn't make it a good stoppage. Uh, this wasn't a very good stoppage. They might run it back. I mean, this fight probably shouldn't have happened just because... When they, when Bruce Buffer was doing the fighter announcements, Kutalaba, as he kind of normally does, walked all the way across the cage, got in the other guy's face. He got chest-to-chest with Ankalaev, who immediately grabbed double underhooks and just kind of slung him off to the side. You're really not supposed to touch before the fight starts. If you do, the commission could just, nope, that's it, fight's off. It's it's a violation of the rules. Somewhat ironically, as was pointed out, had they invoked that bit of uh, the rules, it would have made more sense than the way the actual stoppage played out in some ways, so... UFC might just run it back. Um, Uncle Live was kind of handling him anyway. I expect if they do just rebook it, he'll do the same. Kutalaba's a wild man and provides occasionally entertaining fights, but he's not really ever going to be you know that guy. So, there was that. Alright, next up we had the other women's featherweight fight on this main card. Megan Anderson defeated Norma Dumont. De uh, via knockout, 3:31 of the first. You know, Megan Anderson's had a rough go of it in the UFC, but here she kind of finally looks like she's putting all the things together. She avoided some takedowns, was able to clinch break. Took her longer than I'd like, than you'd like to see, but did eventually break the clinch that she'd been stuck in. Uh, just a really nice finishing punch too. She steps forward, steps a little bit off to her own left. Dips her head to avoid a right from Dumont and cracks her with a counter. Uh, Anderson also says she wants to fight Nunez. I think purely based on styles, Anderson might have at least a an outside puncher's chance against Nunez. I don't even give Felicia Spencer that. That's it. I, I don't think either woman is beating Amanda Nunez. Uh, and kicking off the main card, Grant Dawson defeated Derek Minner via rear naked choke, one thirty-eight of the second. Grant Dawson missed weight for this fight. He weighed one forty-nine and a half. It's a bad miss. That's a, that's four and a half pounds. I mean, three and a half if you want to give him the one forty-six for non-title. That's a big miss. Uh, that said, he survived some pretty close guillotine attempts in the first. Just Kept a good pace, kept good pressure. Dawson's a fairly legitimate prospect for the division as things currently stand, assuming he's even going to stay in that division after that big a miss. Uh, Minner took the fight on short notice. So hes I think he's normally a bantamweight. Uh, so I'm maybe a few... And he looked aggressive for the time that he had, so you know, credit to him. A uh, decent enough little fight. And as for the prelims, Kyler Phillips defeated Gabriel Silva via unanimous decision, 30 27 across the boards. Uh, This was your fight of the night. This was a good fight. These two came to scrap. Uh, Phillips just had a greater diversity of offense, both on the feet and on the ground, Uh, just constantly, even when moving backwards, finding ways to tag Silva. Hurt him a couple of times. Uh, If you're going to look up a fight from this card that isn't the main event, this is the one to look up. Good fight. A middleweight, Brendan Allen defeated Tom Breeze via TKO, 447 of the first. Yeah, I, I've, I've been around long enough to remember when Tom Breeze was going to be a thing. Yeah, long time ago. Uh, Allen looks like a fairly decent prospect for Middleweight, though, so good for him. Marcin Tibora defeated Sergey Spivak via unanimous decision, 230 27s, 129 28. This fight sucked. Luis Pena defeated Steve Garcia via, via unanimous decision, 30-27 across the boards. Pena, after, Pena was the superior grappler. They got into a few wild striking exchanges, and then Pena took him down, got his back, but couldn't finish. Ritz and repeat all three rounds. Pena apologized after, like, that's not how I normally fight. Buddy, I've seen all your UFC fights. That's kind of how you fight. I don't know what your vision of yourself is, but it does not match with reality. That's This fight was very representative of how you have conducted yourself in the cage during a UFC run. And in all fairness, you know, you've won more than you've lost, I think. So, I don't know. I, I would not be apologizing for that. Uh, Jordan Griffin defeated TJ Brown via technical submission. Guillotine choked 338 of the second. TJ Brown was putting a beating on Jordan Griffin. Griffin kept selling out for guillotine chokes. He finally caught one. Uh, Brown moved to side control on the safe side, but something about the arm position and the grip that Griffin was using meant that he wasn't actually safe, and a little bit later just went to sleep. Uh, That's a rarity. You can actually finish that choke from that side, uh, from that position, but... Uh, Griffin did it, so credit to him. This was his first UFC win. It broke like a two or three fight losing streak, so... I still don't see him having a lot of sustained success in the UFC. But, hey, he got a win, so you know what? Good for him. Uh, In your upset of the... Well, there were several upsets. In your reminder that having a spectacular finish on Dana White's contender series... Does not not necessarily translating to success in the UFC. As a reminder of that, Spike Carlisle defeated Alon Cruz via TKO, elbow, and punches, 125 of the first. Carlisle caught Cruz. Cruz, he caught him with a bit of a head kick early, and Cruz decided to clinch up and try to grapple. Carlisle, with his back to the fence, hits this really nice elbow. It's not quite 12 to 6, more 11 to 5. And it comes down, and he finds a really, really, really nice spot for it on the on the head of Cruz. It's a little bit like on the temple, kind of behind the ear. It got close to being illegal, but was a legal blow. Sounded really nasty, badly rocks him. Cruz kind of drops, winds up pulling Carlisle into mount, Carlisle unloads that's all she wrote. Uh, really really solid debut from Carlisle, who seems to have some pretty significant power for a featherweight. And kicking off the main card, probably the if I uh, on paper the second best fight on this card, Sean Brady defeated Ismail of via unanimous decision, two twenty-nine, twenty-eight, 28 130-27 did not agree with the 30-27. Uh, Brady, just in the second and third, was able to force grappling exchanges that Narudiev didn't like. Once Brady got his back, he was just riding him. Would not be dissuaded, would not be unstuck. uh, I wouldn't say full-on, you know, Khabib-esque. Not that much damage inflicted, but the same principles. Once I get to you, once my hands get locked together... You're going to have a devil of a time actually getting me off. I'm going to ride you up and down. I'm going to hit you with mat returns. I'm going to pep you with shots when I can. Just that. Constantly through rounds two and three. So, I mean, solid win for Brady, who's still undefeated. Now 2-0 and in the UFC. Nerudiev, unfortunately, seems to be... Uh, he needs a pivot. He needs some kind of alteration to what he's currently doing because it's not it's not really working. I think he's now two and two in the UFC. And the grappling deficiency at this level is becoming a pretty severe liability for him. So that was UFC on ESPN plus 27. It was a dog of a card on paper and not a very great not a great event. I mean, everything on the main card ended in a finish, but please do not let this confuse you into thinking that finishes equal good or exciting fights, whereas decisions equal boring fights. Again, Minner and Dawson was a pretty good fight. Figueredo and Benavides was pretty good. Spencer and Fern was meh. Anderson and Dumont was meh outside of the finish. And on Kalaev and Kutalaba, I think I said it in the preview for this, like... That's going to be crazy, but not necessarily crazy in the good way. And I was correct there. So, And if we get into the prelims, you know. again, Phillips and Silva, great fight. And most of the rest of it... Again, if you want to really pick and choose, Carlisle and Cruz was a decent enough finish. Uh, Peña and Garcia didn't do anything for me. Tabor and Spivak sucked. Uh Brady and Narudiev not bad, but I don't know why you'd go out of your way to find it if you didn't see it live uh yeah this no one cared about this event. this did I think Just smaller traffic, smaller numbers uh not a lot of people commented I think one of the people who did comment said this fight was taking place you know very close to where they live, but they weren't even going to be bothered to look up ticket prices uh I feel you guys, I really do. Uh, you know, there. I think there's a joke that Jack Slack had made. We're, I think, in the middle slash coming to the back end of eight weeks in a row of fights. But of those eight events, only, like, three of them are any good. So, it happens. And it's especially likely to happen in slightly smaller markets. And... Look, I say that as a guy whose state has had a grand total of one UFC event during their... In- during the promotion's entire existence. And the main event to that card was uh, Alex Caceres and Yair Rodriguez. Look, we got the finger, okay? I mean, freaking Boise got uh, Junior Dos Santos. You know, they got former heavyweight champion J- JDS. Us, we get two kings of useless spinning attacks. Yeah. I'm just a little bitter. I mean, you know, that being said, the event in, you know, Rio Rancho a couple of weeks ago was not great either. If you exist within driving distance of a major market, like Vegas, New York, Boston, Los Angeles, the UFC's only going to come to you intermittently, and they're not going to bring their A material. They're just not. It sucks, but Not really anything that can be done about that, I guess, so... Eh. But, what's the purpose of having a podcast if I can't complain about that every now and then? Alright, moving on from bad cards. Next, uh, this coming Saturday, UFC 248. Ooh, boy. Let's talk about this one. This is a great card. Uh, This is a legitimately great card. The main event... Which I cannot wait for. Israel Adesanya versus Yoel Romero. Adesanya's middleweight championship will be on the line. This is his first defense of the undisputed title. Um, Look, in a perfect world, Adesanya's first title defense is not against Yoel Romero. Let's get that out of the way. It should be... Realistically, it should be Paulo Costa. Costa just beat Romero. He's undefeated in the UFC. I think undefeated overall. He and Adesanya were making noise at each other. That was kind of the fight to make. Adesanya got it, or not Adesanya. Costa's out injured. If you're a conspiracy theorist, then you, uh, you know, you might say he's cycling off of something. And I mean, it's it's MMA. Like, if you want to be that level of conspiracy theorist, there's plenty of evidence to support you in some cases. Um, that. Again, not 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 available. If it wasn't Costa, it probably should have been Jared Cannoneer. That said, several weeks before they announced Adesanya and Romero, they had the UFC had announced Cannoneer and former champion Robert Whitaker for this event. Um which is a good fight. It gives Whitt- if Whitaker beats Cannoneer, he might be back in the title picture. If Cannoneer takes out Robert Whitaker, he's your number one contender. A sensible fight. Uh, that fell out. Robert Whitaker had to withdraw. So the UFC was going to have Cannoneer be on standby for the main event. However, uh, Cannoneer, not too long ago, indicated that he suffered a peck or chest injury. And I don't think it's going to require surgery, but he's not available for this event. So the top two deserving contenders are out of the picture this muddies the water a little bit so who's the next most deserving I think if you go by rankings you have Whitaker in there Whitaker just got finished by Adesanya cleanly so he's out of the question Kelvin Gastelum just lost to Darren Till Darren Till's only got one win at middleweight the reality is as the chips have fallen Romero's the best option not, again, in a perfect world, not the fight. If we don't live in a perfect world. We live in this world. Consequently, this is the fight, and you know, I can live with it. I mean, I get that Romero's on a losing streak. I think if you're gonna, you know, say something in his favor, one, I thought he won the Whitaker fight. The second one, at a minimum, should it, at a minimum draw instead of loss. I kind of thought he won the Paulo Costa fight. There's certainly an argument in his favor, even if he scored it for Costa. So, his only real, like, clear loss in the UFC, if you look at how the fight played out, I'm like, okay, no, that guy won, is the first fight with Robert Whitaker. Their rematch against Split, I thought he won. At a bare minimum, I, I don't think you can score that fight... For Robert Whittaker. I think it's either Romero or draw. My opinion. Cost of fight. Much... Again, I thought he won, but... I can see there's a there's a very clear argument for either guy winning that fight. Such is the nature of the 10-point must system. But you're dealing with a guy who, you know... Could very easily have come out on the winning end of his last couple of fights. And is the only guy standing if you want to have... You know, this kind of a title fight main eventing this card, and I think that's a big consideration. You know, the UFC's schedule and just the you know, the content that they are mandated to put out is a giant consideration for how these things are put together. So if you're the UFC matchmaker and you're trying to put together UFC two forty eight, there's two title fights here, the co main event, Wei Zhang and Yuanny and Jacek. you're not gonna main event a pay per view with that. Most of the fan base probably didn't even see Zhang's title win because it took place at 3 in the morning in a, on an ESPN Plus card from China. Just not highly visible. And Joanna, despite her UFC tenure, never really... I mean, she, look, she's a great fighter. That What I'm about to say is not a knock on her abilities at all. Great fighter, but for all of us who were kind of looking at her when she came up, when she won the belt, when she got a couple of defenses going, you know, maybe there's something here to the point where this, she can genuinely become a big deal, like a star. She never did. For, and you know, I don't know where you would, I don't know why. That's a, you know, star making is an incredibly mercurial bit of alchemy. No one really knows. Or they do it all the time. Point being, that fight's not really a big pay-per-view headliner, so you want a, another title fight to bolster it. So let's kind of go down the list of what titles we have potentially available. Heavyweight, not available. Stipe's out, still recovering from his eye injury. No heavyweight. Light heavyweight. John Jones fought very recently. Already was already previous pay-per-view. Light heavyweight belt was on the line. Not available. Middleweight. Middleweight fits the time frame, so let's just remember middleweight. Welterweight. You have the welterweight title penciled in right now for International Fight Week. So that's where you want to put that. Not available for this card. Lightweight. You have lightweight scheduled for April with Tony and Khabib. Not available. Featherweight. Featherweight. Uh, you want Featherweight to be the main event, probably, of your Australia card. That's coming up in. Let me look up when that is, actually. Do <laughs> oh, they not have a date for that yet? Oh, no, there it is. June. So, 251. So, Featherweight set for June. And, in all fairness, given when. I mean. Uh, it's not like uh, the the featherweight belt was defended very recently Um, Geez, what was it it was near the end it was 245 yeah so you know three four months four months ago Uh, that was so that's that's an unreasonable turnaround and you want to have that in June in Australia probably the rematch between Volkanovski and Holloway so featherweight's off the table Bantamweight. You look. You want bantamweight at two. You know, bantamweight's going to be at two fifty. So bantamweight's not available. Flyweight. Flyweight just happened. Flyweight's not available. Women's bantamweight. Ditto the two fifty thing. Women's featherweight not a division. Women's strawweight already on this card. And women's flyweight. Valentina fought not that long ago and already has her next fight scheduled. So really, if you're kind of planning this out, middleweight's the title that most makes sense to be on this card to support the women's strawweight title fight. And of the available participants, when you're putting this together, again, the the cards have changed a lot. Even if they initially went with Costa, and then, nope, he's out, he's injured. All right, we went with Cannoneer. Cannoneer's injured. Cannoneer would have had to pull out, again, just middle of February even. So you'd be talking about somebody having to step in on very short notice And Whitaker, we don't know why Whitaker withdrew from his fight with Cannoneer, but since it it doesn't seem to be injury-related, so let's just kind of assume that whatever caused him to pull out would have happened anyway. You'd be having to grab somebody on very short notice for that fight. So this kind of played out, I think, the best way it could have. As for the fight itself... This is a really, really good fight on paper. It's a very, very compelling fight. This is a a very, very awkward clash of, of styles. Israel Adesanya is... I don't want to say flat on his feet, because he's not flat in the sense that he is sedentary. But if you watch the way he moves, he's not bouncy. He's not really up on his toes the way a lot of kickboxers or karate guys are. He is light and quick on his feet, but he is not bouncy. And that kind of targeting can be an issue for standing in front of someone like Yoel Romero, who has an incredible ability to explode through distance with a lot of power behind what he does. I mean, unless Romero catches him early, I don't expect that to be a serious problem, especially given some of Romero's cardio issues. Which he seemed to... He might have really addressed. He didn't seem to fade that much in his last fight, the, the Costa one. Neither really here nor there, necessarily. But he's... So, again, there's that. There's the wrestling, which I'm not sure is going to be the biggest factor. Romero is very much a freestyle wrestling guy, rather than a folk style. And... Freestyle wrestling prioritizes getting your opponent down to the mat more so than prolonged contact. Not to say that there isn't any there, but if you look at if you watch a folk style wrestling or a collegiate style wrestling match, there's a lot more contact, there's a lot more rides. Again, guys like Khabib and Ben Askren really kinda of bring that sensibility into MMA. Freestyle rewards a little bit more the explosion through distance. It values again. There's no points for riding in freestyle like there can be in folk style. I know folk style has gone through some scoring changes over the last several years, so it's just that kind of prolonged contact is just less of a thing in freestyle. So when you see Romero and employ his wrestling, he's extremely good about hitting a trip, hitting a knee pick, hitting a hitting at some kind of foot sweep takedown, whatever, however he chooses to get you there. He's very, very good about exploding through, driving your butt to the mat, getting your shoulders down, or getting you to your knees. He's very good about creating that motion. He's less good about keeping you there, especially uh, as that sort of skill set in MMA of being able to regain your feet and and forcing separation has elevated. So I do kind of expect Romero to get a takedown of some variety at some point. I'm not sure he's going to be able to impose, like, control situations on Adesanya. And that's not a knock on Romero, necessarily. He's just, that's not really something he does anyway. The longer this stays in kind of, like, prolonged striking exchanges, the more I favor Adesanya. He's just so good at that. The other thing that needs to kind of be discussed here is, you know, Adesanya's camp... Uh, he turns out to of kickboxing with Eugene Behrman, who has produced now two UFC champions. I know, uh, Volkanovski isn't exclusive to that gym, but does a lot of training there. In fact, Behrman, you know, is one of his cornermen, one of his coaches. That camp, uh, I think Luke Thomas put it best, so I'm going to quote him. That camp audits your game. They will go through every one of your fights multiple times they will find everything you do every habit every twitch every tendency every strength every weakness they put you through the most they just on tape they put you through the most severe auditing process they can to break you down and understand what you're going to do and find ways to to combat it to counter it i mean they were able to successfully do that with guys like robert whittaker hadn't lost at middleweight, or Max Holloway, you know, whose run, Max Holloway's run at featherweight is one of the all-time great featherweight runs. Uh, You can argue the greatest. You can argue his run after that bad decision to Tavares, his run up to the belt, his title win, his title defenses, you can argue that's the best featherweight run ever. I might argue Aldo's was better given just sheer longevity, but that's the kind of company we're talking about. With a very nuanced, very modular game, great adaptability, and that team and Volkanovski were able to gain a profound understanding of Max Holloway and beat him. Comprehensively. I mean, that wasn't a finish, but... There was no controversy about the scoring of that fight. I mean, okay, the 50-45 scorecard was a little iffy. But even, I rewatched that fight recently. I can see the 50-45. I think that's what I did live, but, you know, doing it live, I was doing both coverage and uh, alternate, alternate commentary with Mark. Uh, myself a little bit of a break there when I turn in a bad scorecard on occasion if I'm doing three things. Even if they overlap, it's, yeah, it's kind of difficult. So, the point being, I miss stuff when I do it like that. Uh, and I can see the 50-45. I, the fourth in particular, I think, probably should have gone Max's way, but it's not like Volkanovski didn't have great moments in that round. He did. So, again, they're willing to, you know, go through that process and just strip your game down and find out everything they can about it. And... Romero, while he does have again, freakish athleticism and the ability to surprise you, especially if you're very analytical, especially if you're very reliant on reads, he's very good about taking that and just, once you get somewhat comfortable, switching things up just enough to catch you by surprise. I mean, that said, I am picking Adesanya fairly, I'm and I will not be surprised if Romero wins, but if you're asking me to pick, I pick Adesanya, and I feel pretty good about that. But, great, great fight. Hope it holds together. Can't wait for it. Should be a good one. co event, women's strawweight champion Zhang Weili will be defending against... Wei Lee. Zhang Weili. God, I suck. will be defending against former champion Yuana Yunjecek. I've had a hard time kind of getting my head around this fight. And there's a pretty specific reason for that, actually, and it has to do with Zhang. First of all, Zhang's on a 20-fight winning streak. Her only loss was her professional debut. Like That's pretty impressive, however you slice it. She's... You know she's been posting a lot of you know, some of her training videos, and the woman hits very, very. I mean, she stopped Jessica Andrade clean. She hits hard. But if you look at her UFC fights, so let's go down these very briefly. Danielle Taylor. There was a lot of both of them just circling. Uh, low line side kicks. Like the, there wasn't a lot to show. Jessica Aguilar. Uh, she gets an armbar submission in the first round, only about three forty. She looked to be better on the feet, but there was, again, a lot of that circling, some kicks, and then Aguilar forces the grappling. Uh, Jean comes out on top of it, so, you know. And fair play, you know, showing that you have that kind of grappling ability is a, ver- is a very beneficial thing. And she fights Tisha Torres, and it's a lot of the same kind of stuff you got in the Danielle Taylor fight. You're, d- you're just not seeing a tremendous amount of, of her game in those fights. And then, of course, she, you know, Andrade runs into some counter punches, gets kneed in the head, falls over at 42 seconds. I'm just not sure how she is going to match up with a point fighter, and I don't mean that in a negative sense in Ioanna. Ioanna's really, really good at winning rounds. That's a hard thing to do, and she's good at it. She's going to be fighting, you know, someone who likes fighting longer, who's good about chopping at your legs and scoring. If you come, if you're, you know, the one coming at her, she's more comfortable, actually, at this point in her career, absorbing pressure than going forward. I'm, I'm certainly not going to pretend that Zhang can't win this fight. She not only hits very hard, she's very well-schooled but we've never seen her have to fight at a high pace for a long period of time. We've never seen her out of the third round, I think in her entire career. Yeah, she's never gone out of the third round. And we're seeing her against someone who's going to kind of make her fight awkwardly. So, if Jean can kind of get Joanna to be the one pressing forward set some traps kind of bait her into stuff and then move quickly through distance uh, I think that's her best bet but that's not really a skill set she's shown off a whole lot she's gonna be shorter in reach certainly I think in height she's shorter uh, let me confirm that Zhang is 5'4 officially Joanna is 5'6 so only 2 inches actually in height about reach. Yona's reach is 65 and a half inches. Zhang's is 63, so she's two inches shorter, two inches of reach in the arms, probably a little bit longer in the legs. And Yona's good about kicking it long distance. Zhang's uh, gonna want this in closer quarters. Yoana has struggled a bit in the pocket recently. If you watch her first few UFC fights, Joanna's game revolves a lot more around her jab or on boxing range. Over the last few years, she's switched that to be more of a to be more kicks uh, kick centric, a lot more chopping with the legs. And I mean, again, in fairness, it's a strategic decision. It's worked for her. I mean, her only losses ever are what the two to Rose, which is just a nightmare for her stylistically. Uh, after uh, Rose with the ability to just kind of leap in and close distance and then the rematches showed that's kind of how that fight goes. And then to Valentina Shevchenko up at flyweight and Shevchenko was just I wouldn't say completely unbeatable but an extraordinarily difficult woman to defeat in combat sports. So I'm really torn on this one, and I don't even really have much of an analog, you know, for... Okay, who was the last power... You know, the last power striker that wanna fought was probably Andrade, but I don't think that's an appropriate comparison given that Zhang doesn't move or fight like Andrade. Andrade is a forward-moving tank, and wanna just constantly played Matador, just move back, jab, move back, one, two, kick, slip, repeat, just picked her apart. Uh, I don't think Zhang is going to be that relentlessly one note with her pressure. Uh, the power striking is a big deal, but part of the reason Rose was very successful was, first of all, she didn't bite on any of Yuana's fakes or feints, and then her... Rose's length, I think, gave Ioana's read some real problems. She never got a great feel for the distance that Rose was going to be operating at. And I don't know that... Again, there's so much about Zhang that we haven't seen at this level. So I don't really know. I don't pick against Ioana very often. I mean, I did for the Shevchenko fight, but... And I think I did for the Rose rematch, but I don't remember off the top of my head. Again, this is a tough fight on paper right now because the other thing about Ioana that is worth noting, she's been fighting for a very long time. And, I mean, she's been, you know, her kickboxing and Muay Thai career and whatnot dates back to... Uh, you know, the early 2000s, I think. So, uh, closer to 20 years fighting than not. Uh, yeah, I think, like, 2008 or so is some of the first, like, titles she started winning in kickboxing. So, 12 years. Let's just go with 12. Feels like a pretty safe number. For... Ending it probably a little bit earlier than that But Let's just say 12 So she's been fighting for about 12 years If you look at her last Okay let's go back to her uh, Her title win in 15 That was the second round stoppage Just Penne second round stoppage Valerie Letourneau Decision five rounds Gadelia rematch, decision, five rounds. Carolina, five rounds. Andraj, five rounds. Joanna, uh, excuse me, Rose the first time, stopped in the first. Rose the second time, five-round loss. Tisha Torres, three-round win. Shevchenko, five-round loss. Michelle Watterson, five-round win. For some someone 12 years into their career, give or take, that's a lot of in-cage time. That she's racked up since fifteen. So over that five-year period, give or take, that's a lot of rounds. That's a lot of rounds. It's a lot of wear and tear, and a lot of that at a very, very high level. You know, again, Zhang Zhang's been fighting in mixed martial arts since thirteen. So seven years, and she had a few kickboxing fights, but anyway, so looking purely at her UFC, at her MMA career. Seven years, give or take. And she's just a little over six now because she debuted in November of 13. And a lot of the... She's only, she's only been to the third round twice. I mean, she's been wrecking people, <laughs> by and large. There's probably... So, I don't know. I do wonder if Ioana's becoming a little bit just kind of worn down after all those years and all those fights. And some of those fights that she's had in the UFC have been pretty grueling affairs. I feel like I'm trying to talk myself out of picking Ioana because I kind of just slapdash on paper want to go, yeah, I think she's going to lead Zhang around the ring, around the cage, counter striker. Pick her apart Chew her up Yeah alright I'm gonna pick Ioana But I do not feel Very confident In that at all Okay Moving on Uh, Lightweight Benil, Daryush And Drakkar close Good fight Daryush is a Fairly underappreciated Lightweight Currently on a Three fight winning streak Which he needed After a He had a rough stretch There man where he had a great two-and-a-half rounds against Barboza before getting flying need, had a draw against Evan Dunham he was kind of fortunate to get, and then got blitzed by Alexander Hernandez. But he seems to be a little bit back on track. With Close, we have a guy with only one loss ever, professionally, also on a three-fight winning streak, good wrestler. I'm leaning a little bit towards Dariush, but Dariush might be fading. And lightweight is an incredibly unforgiving division. At welterweight, Neil Magny is back. No one cares, but uh, uh, I joke about Magny. Um, You know, he was been on he's been on the shelf for a while uh, due to a drug test issue. Uh, He was last scheduled to fight in May of last year. Uh, That got pulled. He's fighting Li Jing Liang. Uh, Lee's on a three-fight winning streak. He's rather impressively, actually, seven and three in his last... seven and one, excuse me, seven and one in his last eight. I kind of like Lee here, actually. I mean, I'm a believer in Magni's general ability. But he hasn't fought since November of 18 when he was starched by Ponzanibio. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of leaning... I'm kind of leaning towards Lee here. Uh, the layoff's a bit of an issue. I mean, that said, Magny could very easily come in, get the clinch, get him down, do Magny things, so... I'm kind of pulling for Magny to, you know, come back and make a good, you know, have a good performance here, but I'm going to lean towards Lee officially. And in on some guaranteed chaos, because we have the dirtiest fighter in the UFC, Alex Oliveira, on a three-fight losing streak taking on Max Griffin, who's another bit of... He's not as dirty, but he's another bit of chaos. Um, I mean, Griffin has a pretty terrible UFC record, actually, of 3-5. and five. I mean, I to be fair, I thought he won the Tiago Alves fight. But... Yeah, he's, he's had a very, very up-and-down UFC run. Alex Oliveira... Rugged Again, a little bit dirty. Um, I'm going to go with Alex Oliveira here, but that's just because Griffin is so wildly inconsistent. As for the prelims, Sean O'Malley is finally back against uh, Jose Alberto Quinonez. Quinonez um, only lost in the UFC. He's had two. So he lost to Alejandro Perez in his UFC debut four-fight winning streak, lost to Nathaniel Wood, bounced back with a win over Carlos Huashin. O'Malley, uh, undefeated, hasn't fought since March of 18, so just about two years. I mean, logically, I should, I'm going to go with O'Malley, but my... I have never been as impressed with O'Malley as others. And... I'm just gonna kind of go with you know. There's people who know more about this than I do, who have said this guy's really good. That I'm I'm gonna. I mean, his performance actually at the uh, I think there was a quintet event, some submission grappling event, where he uh, really really overperformed and had a really good showing actually against some decorated grapplers. That did more for him, that did more from my perspective and opinion on his. Abilities than his UFC fights actually, so gonna go with O'Malley there, but uh, potentially a good fight. Mark Madsen will fight Austin Hubbard. Um, this was supposed to be, nope. Say this was always this fight. Uh, Mark Madsen had a good UFC debut. I mean, he's uh, he's an Olympian. He won, he won what? Silver. Yeah, he's an Olympic silver medalist and a four-time overall medalist at the World Wrestling Championships. He's a really, really decorated amateur wrestler. He won silver in Rio, actually. Uh, Had a successful UFC debut. Now he is fighting Austin Hubbard. I don't think of this as a gimme, but the UFC is also kind of taking a bit of their time with Madsen, I think. So I, I expect him to win here. Uh, middleweight Adolfo Vieja is back against... would that be Vieira? I don't know. I've I've heard a few de- conflicting things about how the R's work in Portuguese a little bit. So, I'm going to go with Vieira at the moment. But, if I'm wrong, my apologies. Uh, Adolfo Vieira, Vieira and Saperbek Safarov. I believe this is Safarov's... First trip to middleweight. Uh, He just broke a two-fight losing streak recently when he beat a vastly over... I shouldn't say over... Like, out of his depth. uh, Nicolai Negamoreno. Um, I expect Vieja to win this. I expect Adolfo Vieira to win this. Another middleweight fight. Gerald Mershart and Duran win. This is a good fight. Uh, Mershart. Kind of a tough veteran. Really kind of a sneaky grappler. Duran Wynn coming off of the first loss of his career. I feel like Duran Wynn should take this one, but uh, it's not an easy fight. Put it like that. Then on the early prelims, Emily Whitmire will fight Poliana Viana. Viana has uh, a rec- grand total of... A record of 1-3 and three in the UFC. <laughs> Whereas Whitmire... Has gone back and forth. I think she's 2-2. Two and two. Probably go with Whitmire here, but... Eh, again, that's iffy. Either of them could pull that out. And then we have Dana Batgareel versus Guido Canetti. You know, that one's got some potential, actually. Um, Canetti... Has been trading wins and losses in the UFC. He's two and three. Uh, some of those losses were tough losses. You know, the Kyung Ho Kong one, Henry Briones, Marlon Vera. Um, Kong and Vera, in particular, are—I wouldn't say like elite level guys, but they're definitely top notch. Uh, Batagrell had a tough outing in his UFC debut. Uh, he lost, but again, turned in a really fun performance. So there's some potential there. I'm gonna I shouldn't pick Bat Gorel, but I'm going to because I don't know, I feel like taking a flyer on that with a prediction. Uh, anyway, that is the current setup for UFC two forty eight. Really good card actually, top to I mean top to bottom. There's not a lot of stuff on paper there that's a dud. In practice, who knows? But really, really solid card really looking forward to it this Saturday you can find me covering this in the MMA zone of 411mania.com so please stop by please say hello leave a comment if you're so inclined Um, if not share it on Twitter, Facebook if you like it much like with this podcast if you're watching, listening, reading and you enjoy what I do please tell people share it on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram whatever you do I don't know, whatever other platforms you choose to share. Get on top of your roof with a bullhorn. I I mean, don't do that if it's illegal, but you know what I mean. Let people know about uh, what's going on. I really, really do appreciate it. Because I know I don't have the biggest audience in the world, but I like you guys, and I am trying to grow that into... (laughs) I'd like to grow it. I'd I'd like for the growth to be upward, not negative. So... Please, if you want to support my work here on this podcast or my writing, tell people about it. Best thing you can do. Well, if you're on the podcast side of things, you can also subscribe, whatever your uh, podcast platform of choice is. Uh, Stitcher, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, whatever. if you can, you can subscribe there, interact with that a little bit. That will help tremendously as well as sharing it. If we're talking about the live coverage... I, that's what I got. Share it. Tell people about it, please. I occasionally wonder if I'm the only thing holding the MMA zone up. I mean, I'm not, I'm not the editor for it, but, you know. Content for that particular zone is... Uh, not being churned out a lot lately, and I, I, and I always kind of wonder. So if you would, please, just share it around. Always appreciated. I... I deeply appreciate all of you guys. I really, really do. Again, I know there's not a lot of you, but hopefully there will be more in the future. All right, schmoozing out of the way. Let's move on to some news. Uh, The UFC announced officially for UFC 250 Henry Cejudo defending the bantamweight title against Jose Aldo. I hate this fight. Here's the thing about this fight, especially relative to um, the one we just talked about, Adesanya and Romero. If you look at Adesanya and Romero, and we went over it, there's not really another option here. Like Romero is genuinely the best option for the middleweight title, and considering that the middleweight title is the only title really available for this pay-per-view, that's where things are. By contrast, let's look at Bantamweight, shall we? Who are the top contenders at Bantamweight? The top three guys, in my opinion... Four actually, the four contenders, and I'm not going to rank these in order that the UFC has them, but in order of who probably should be getting the title shot: Aljamain Sterling, Peter Yawn, Corey Sandhagen, Marlon Moraes. Though, so you have again, we have four guys, top shelf contenders. Aljamain Sterling on a really long run. I know there's not a lot of hype behind him, but that's not all there is to this. You do have to preserve the architecture of winning matters. Or you risk tremendously upsetting the machinery that you've got going. And I don't think you want to see what, what that's like when that breaks down, really. So you've got Sterling, who you're given the finger to. If you want to go by hype, then there's Peter Yawn, who is not only undefeated in the UFC, only has one loss ever that he avenged, just on one of the bigger pay-per-views of last year, abused and then finished Uriah Faber with a head kick. Eh, So you got that. You got Corey Sandhagen, who was deprived of an opportunity for a big career win when Frankie Edgar moved up, uh, stepped in on somewhat short notice to fight Korean Zombie, and then got knocked out. But Sandhagen, definitely someone in that discussion. And then, Marlon Moraes. I put Marlon lowest, not because he is least deserving in some kind of objective sense, or the worst of of that group, but he just fought Henry Cejudo not that long ago and got finished without a lot of controversy in the third round. I mean, that said, he, you know, tore the crap out of Cejudo's legs and body with kicks in the first round. And then just Cejudo adjusted. And credit to him for it. So i I'd put him there not because, again, he's the worst fighter of that group, but I think he's the hardest sell. Despite the fact that he just beat Jose Aldo, who is getting this shot. So you're given, you are actively going over three to four deserving contenders here. And I, I don't like that at all. If Again, look at middleweight. If it's not Romero, who's available? There's not really anyone else available. If it's not Aldo, who's available? Well, Sterling, Jan, Sandhagen, Moraes They're all available. I don't think any of them are out or injured. They're all free. They're all ready to fight. But... Here's where a bit more of kind of the machinery comes in. UFC 250 is taking place in Sao Paulo, Brazil. The UFC naturally wants a Brazilian attraction in the main event. And Aldo's kind of all they've got. The next generation of Brazilian talents has not really arrived if we're talking about guys who, you know, really kind of capture the fan base, exceed, succeed at a high level, there hasn't really been anyone since, you know, Shogun and the Nogueras and Machida and Vanderlay, Like that old guard, their time, they had their time. It went away <laughs> like it does. But if you look at, you know, the next kind of wave of Brazilian guys in the UFC, it hasn't been there. Paulo Costa is the closest thing you've got. You don't... I mean, look, Marlon Moraes is Brazilian, but doesn't really have, you know, a big following in Brazil. If you're going to host an event in Brazil... You know, you put Jose Aldo's name on a poster, you put Marlon Moraes' name on a poster, which of those two is going to draw? The answer is Aldo. I mean, part of that is, Aldo still lives in Rio, I think. Uh, He still trains there, I believe. Whereas Moraes, I think he lives and trains in New Jersey now. He's, you know, part of the the Mark Henry's group. And... You, again, you you want someone local... And you're going to have Amanda Nunes on this card. Not trying to undersell that. But... I'm I'm not sure how Nunes' star power is in Brazil. Might be good. Might might be really, really good. I, I don't know. But Nunes has only, I think, headlined the one pay-per-view, and she kind of got that headlining spot more because of Ronda Rousey's star power than her own. So it seems unlikely you were going to, you know, main event. Uh, And, you know, let's also be clear, you know, 250 is one of those big numbers. You know, we kind of like stuff that ends in five, stuff that ends in zero, and 250, congratulations, you're a quarter of the way to 1,000. They're going to try to put some effort into this card, in theory. So you want the double titles... And Aldo is, you know, kind of the last Brazilian star that's still able to fight at a high level. I mean, you know, the loss to Morais was a very competitive fight. I scored it for Morais, but there's, if you score it for Aldo, hey, more power to you. I can't argue. I can tell you why I think Morais won. I can't necessarily tell you why I think Jose Aldo lost. And, I mean, his only loss at featherweight prior to that were, you know, McGregor, Holloway, and Volkanovsky. Like, Jose Aldo is still really good and has a fairly legitimate shot at winning this fight. I mean, again, much as I hate it from a structural standpoint, um, I, how do I say this? Jose Aldo is, the, is probably the best anti-wrestler the sport has seen. I mean, this is a guy without a wrestling background who just through repetition of stop the takedown, stop the takedown, stop the takedown, stop different kinds of takedowns, if your butt does hit the canvas, bounce back up, wall walk immediately... I'd be really hard-pressed to find anyone who, from a technical perspective, is a better counter-slash-anti-wrestler than Jose Aldo, ever. And part of that's because he... You know, a lot of guys were trying to take him down. A lot of very, very talented guys were trying to take him down. And just had no success. So... If Henry... Now, to be fair, level of grappling and takedowns presented by Chad Mendes. Not really the same level of wrestling that Olympic gold medalist Henry Cejudo brings. Okay, I'm willing to absolutely stipulate Cejudo is the best wrestler he's ever faced. But unless that wrestling unless that level of difference proves to be a serious problem for Jose Aldo, I mean, think about it this way. What if Cejudo can't get Jose Aldo down at all? Just think about it for a second. Now, Cejudo has some skills on the feet. He's been doing a little bit of the, you know, kind of the karate-style stance. He's got some power in his hands. He's not bad in the pocket. But if we're talking about a purely an MMA fight that is contested almost entirely on the feet or in the clinch, who do you favor? You favor Henry Cejudo or Jose Aldo? Now let's take that and put it at, let's, you know, say it takes place entirely at the end of Jose Aldo's reach, where his jab and his kicking game can kind of tear you up. There, Jose Aldo can absolutely win this fight. I don't know that I'm going to pick him. But... If Cejudo's wrestling is nullified... And maybe that again, maybe that doesn't happen. But... If... What we know about Aldo's anti-encounter wrestling... Holds up against the level of wrestling that Cejudo brings purely on the feet, I am not a big fan of Cejudo's chances against Jose Aldo. Just throwing that out there. Um, that said, you know, if Aldo does pull that off, give me Jose Aldo and Peter Yan. Oh, God, give me that fight. Give me those two maniacs of violence and technique Throwing what they've got at each other for five rounds. I need that in my like, just hook that into my veins. So again, don't like Cejudo Aldo for all those reasons. Uh, but I'm not gonna again. I'm not gonna put my head in the sand and pretend I don't understand how we got here. Uh, let's see. There was a minor. This was a real minor news story, but it amuses me, so I'm gonna talk about it. Uh, you have uh, there was a fight between Tito Ortiz and former WWE. I shouldn't I shouldn't only pigeonhole Alberto Del Rio, Alberto Del Patron, Dos Caras Jr. Whatever you want to call him. I shouldn't fully pigeonhole him as former WWE guy because while well, he is that, he also wrestled at like the at the Pan American Games. He had some MMA fights. He somewhat hilariously got head-kicked by Mirko Krokop at Pride. He fought wearing the mask, because he was Dos Caras Jr. at the time, and didn't want to reveal his identity, and Pride was go-along with wacky stuff, so he's trying to fight Krokop in his prime. Wearing this mask. Oh, God, Krokop head-kicked him into oblivion. Point being, the man has a very... This isn't a CM Punk thing, where, you know, Punk... God bless him for trying, I suppose. Zero competitive athletic background. Zero. Uh, Del Rio has a legitimate competitively athletic background. So, he and Tito Ortiz had a fight. Tito wins. Submission in the first. Nothing... uh, This took place for the Combate Americas, I believe. Nothing terribly controversial here. Um... For a brief period of time over the last week, that the result was changed to a no contest. Turns out there was a minor issue with Tito's, with one of Tito's drug tests. Tito's claim was that the issue in question was a medication prescribed by his physician, and apparently it's one of those things where if it's prescribed, there's not an issue, I guess. Um, so they. Just changed the result while they investigated. Uh, while they confirmed Tito's side of the Tito's side of things. Tito's doctor confirmed it. However much credence you want to give all of this, I tend to go along with it. And the result was reinstated. I'm not sure why any of that was public. I mean, sure, you get a guy that has it. You have a discrepancy with the drug test, but if you're not real, if you're going to go through the effort of double-checking the story and whatnot, I don't know why you had to make that public. I mean, I'm all for transparency in a lot of respects, but I don't know why this was as public as it was. Let me just put it like that. Um, That event took place in Texas, and the Texas Department of Licensing and Regulatory Affairs is a clown fiesta. I don't know what else to tell you. Okay, I think that's everything. Actually, so let me refresh Twitter. Um, see if anything crazy has come up. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna quote this because this is amusing. Um, Romero Romero's just kind of doing some media rounds, you know, for the fight coming up. Apparently, he wants to fight for another decade. He's 42 officially, allegedly. Again, there's some record-keeping issues with Cuba, so... Who knows how old he actually is, a little bit. Uh, but he says he wants to fight until he's 52 and surpass the record of, Bar- of Bernard Hopkins, who boxed until he was 51. Can we just talk for just a second <laughs> about the athletic and genetic freak that is Joel Romero? I mean... There's a quote from Ben Foulkes here. He's two years younger than Yoel Romero, so 40. And he says his current goal is to get to a place where he no longer hurts himself if he has to sleep with a different pillow than his usual one. Yoel Romero out here at 42, looking like he's sculpted out of marble, saying he wants to fight competitively for another decade. <sighs> They broke the mold when they made that, man. Because if there's 20 of Yoel Romero... There's 20 Yoel Romeros walking around, that 20 Yoel Romeros could take over a small city. <laughs> uh, okay, that little bit of... Little bit of silliness aside. Um, let see if anything else broke. I don't think anything else crazy has happened. Uh yeah. All right. I think we're going to I think it's going to be that. We'll go ahead and get into plugs for myself such as they are. Okay, you can find me this Tuesday on Damn You Hollywood over in the Ridleychan Broadcasting Network/W2M slash Network. We will be reviewing the number one movie in the country right now, uh The Invisible Man. This would be uh Lee Winnell's adaptation of the of the original at the moment, it seems to be doing not just well financially, but critics seem to like it. I'm still dubious. Um, but I'm ge- I generally like Winnell as a director. And I'm pre- I'm prepared to be wrong. I don't necessarily expect it. Look, there's a real chance that coming out of this movie, I go, all these critics are idiots, and here's why, which I have done in the past. Probably will do in the future too, but uh, so you can find a review of that uh, next week. will be onward, so look forward to those. If you if you like my movie reviews, feel free to you know continue. Like I I appreciate you guys listening to those too. Uh, make sure you check out all I'll pimp Jeff's stuff uh, in Absentia. Make sure you check out his reviews of I think he has the has an onward review that's up right now. So be sure to check out his stuff, as well as all the podcasts here on the 411 Podcasting Network. The 411 on Wrestling with Larry Zonka, Jeff Harris's interview podcast series, and thank you for listening to this one. And what did I do last week? Oh, um, last week, if you still like other stuff that I do, there was the TV party for the Netflix lock and key adaptation where I got to be very, very sad. So you can listen to that. The source material for Lock and Key that I did with Alexis Haina and Jesse Starcher over on the source material podcast dropped. So listen to those if you want to hear my thoughts on stuff other than MMA. Uh, MMA takes up a lot of my time and attention, but not 100% of it. So thanks for that. Uh, Again, UFC 248 this Saturday. Very much looking forward to that. And back here next week With a review of 248 And We will be previewing UFC on ESPN plus 28 Uh, The UFC is in Brasilia, Brazil And the main event is Kevin Lee and Charles Oliveira You know, that's a good fight Um, Damian Maia and Gilbert Burns In your co-main event That's a good fight Eliza Zaleski dos Santos And Alexi Konchenko is a good fight Notumboy Kado and Demir Hadzovic is pretty good. Johnny Walker and Nikita Kralov, I mean, it's slightly upper level light heavyweight. Jucia Formiga. Uh, that card is actually not bad. It's not gonna jump off the page at anyone if you're not like me, but if you're if you're kind of in the weeds so to speak in the in the MMA scene, that's a pretty decent card on paper. So, we'll get a full preview of that for you guys next week. Until then, thank you all again very much for listening, for subscribing, for commenting, if you can, for giving us reviews. I always appreciate all of that. I know everyone else does. Thank you very much. I will see you all next week. Stay safe out there, and please continue to be well, be safe, and behave.